Dad, you're in a Star Wars movie. I am, and you're from Houston. No way. Hey. Hey, so have you been to Texas, Houston? No. I just seem to just hear so much about it. Sounds great. I don't know if what I hear and what it is are the same thing. It is fantastic. You should come down. I will. And you should come down right now before, like, the heat. Like, right now, winter is... Is it just so intensely hot? Well, I tell everybody, uh, usually what I tell people is, like, for four hours, the weather's great in Texas. Four hours out of the year. Uh, But no, 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 I'm kidding. Then again, we filmed at 131 degrees, so I think I win. Where did you film? In Abu Dhabi. Running through the desert with real explosions and a real fire in 131 degrees. Oh, my. Yeah. What was your reaction like when you realized you were going to be uh, in this film? Um, I guess uh, you would imagine that it would be jumping up and down and all that kind of stuff. It was very... It's funny because JJ said something about it being kind of not muted, but like chill. Because I was like, huh. I kind of felt like it was going to happen. So when it happened, I think I didn't actually process it that it happened till months later. Um, And I was with someone that I couldn't tell and stuff like that. So it was very odd. It was very odd. That's I was actually still like, huh, I got that film, yeah. That's actually my next question for you. How did you keep secrets? Because I mean everybody wants to know what's going on. I mean, did you get go into a witness protection program? The or? funny thing is, I'm really bad at keeping my own secrets, but I'm so good at keeping other people's. And because this isn't my secret, this is a crew of thousands and people who've been working on this for years. And it's a wonderful thing. And the reason people are keeping it quiet is so that when you see it in the cinema, it's this incredible thing that you don't really know what's going to happen next. It was very easy. And watching the film, I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that happened. And so if, that, if that's evoked in people, I think we, we've all done the job well. You want to sing and want to sing Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You want to sing and want to sing Like when Bobby D says, you're talking to me. Seen it all with Jeff and John. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Seen It All with Jeff and John, the podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies. I'm Jeff Glover. And I'm John Zabriskie. And in this episode, you probably won't recognize us because of our red arms. (laughs) That's right. We are talking about a scene from the 2015 entry into the Star Wars universe, the first film of the so-called sequel trilogy, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Who are you? I'm no one. All right. 
Yeah, it, I'm just going to kind of take a handoff without you asking about it. Uh, take it. Take the and, ball. Yeah. <laughs> and just say that, um, yeah, I can talk about Star Wars all day, all night. I could make a podcast about it if I wanted just because <laughs> I'm so passionate about the Star Wars universe, uh, cartoons, movies, not so much the toys, uh, except if you, unless you count Lego Star Wars, then you have a new set of movies and toys uh, and shows to talk about. Um, but yeah, Star Wars is something that's been in my life forever and ever and ever. Um, you and I are about the same age. So mm-hmm. um, probably your earliest memories of Star Wars are likely Return of the Jedi. I know that's my earliest memory of, is seeing that in the theater back oh, wow. in 1983. Yeah. And uh, just from there, you know, recording the original trilogy off of the different cable or whenever it showed up on primetime TV. Uh, and then watching those VHS tapes, wearing them out, um, watching that original trilogy. And uh, yeah, we could talk more about the transition uh, over the years, but um, that's kind of my earliest memories of star Wars and yeah. <laughs> kind of a, yeah. W- what about you, Jeff? So pretty similar to you. So just for all the listeners out there, um, I, I, we we talked about this uh, a little bit last time, but um, I know that this is uh, Star Wars is one of John's uh, movie passions. So this mm-hmm. is definitely going to be an episode where I kind of grab onto his shirt sleeve and, and hang on uh, for dear life as he uh, takes me through the Star Wars. Uh, but uh, anyway, sorry to answer your question. Um, same thing, same thing. Like I, I have early memories of seeing Star Wars, and I, I can't even pinpoint, you know, the first time um, I was born in 1980, you know, by the time I w- it was the late eighties, early nineties, my parents had all the movies on VHS. We'd watch them mm-hmm. all the time. It was, it was a popular, it was something that we could do in our family that we all enjoyed. And like a lot of times for special occasions, like new year's um, or Christmas uh, night or something like that, we'd watch a Star Wars movie or there was one year that we watched the entire trilogy uh, on, on New Year's Day. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't characterize myself as being a huge like Star Wars nerd or anything. I, I definitely don't have the same level of knowledge into the Star Wars averse as, <laughs> as you might. Um, but I've always been a fan and anytime a new star Wars film comes out, I'm, I'm always excited to see it. And um, yeah, it's just always been a part of my movie life for sure. Yeah. How, how funny you mentioned <laughs> seeing the movies when they come out because uh, yeah, we both saw episode nine together <laughs> when right. it came out. That's right. <laughs> I think that I'm sure I'm pretty sure that's the only star Wars movie I've seen with you. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> The, the funny thing about that is uh, you mentioning that because the show is so late, I think it was a 1030 screening <laughs> that yeah. you ended up falling asleep. And it was one of those where <laughs> you joined me and uh, our buddy, Mike, 
you joined our buddy. Yeah, me and my buddy way late on that night, like saying like, okay, I'm in. I like want to jump in. I'm going to buy a ticket. But with the assigned seating, like you literally had to pick a seat just way far away from us, like <laughs> literally in the middle of the theater, <laughs> this crowded theater all by yourself. So I can imagine like, uh, yeah, if you're not so much into Star Wars and it's like, yeah, hovering around midnight. 1230. Yeah. Well, you know, I was excited to see that movie, but mm-hmm. that 10th, that 10, 1030, 1040 start time really messed with me. Cause like I can stay up late, like that's fine. But I made the fatal error of <laughs> like at 9 PM went to a restaurant beforehand and I got like a giant <laughs> cheeseburger and they were like, would you like, and, and I was like, and can I get a beer? And they were like, sure. Do you want the 24, the 12 or the 24 ounce or whatever? And I was like, well, of course I want the 24 ounce. I'm 24. I'm a grown man. Yeah. So I, I ate this huge burger and then drank this really tall beer. And then, you know, we get into the theater and yeah, I'm like, I'm like half a mile away from you guys. And, and you know, it's a star Wars movie. So there's like, Literally, like I'm not exaggerating, at least 30 minutes of previews. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they know everybody's seen this movie. Yeah. On, and this is a Thursday school night, by the way. This is a Thursday night. So <laughs> the movie didn't actually start until after 11 o'clock. Yeah. And and it's, it's like a three-hour movie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever, two and a half, three hours. So, yeah, no, I didn't make it. I didn't. That, that burger <laughs> kicked in. I uh, – I, I wouldn't say I completely fell asleep, but I entered some sort of like dream stasis, like <laughs> somewhere in between where I was kind of coming in and out of consciousness. And uh, needless to say, when the movie ended, I I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> did you just wake up? Like, did, did we win? <laughs> we did it. Who won? I think, I think I came to right near the end, you know, when we finally like triumphantly win. I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you. I can't even remember how it ends now, but mm-hmm. uh, man. Yeah. So that was the one time that we went and saw Star Wars together. That's how it ended up. <laughs> too, too funny. I love that story. I'll, I'll always bring that up every time we're talking about Star Wars. Um, but yeah, Nine put the cap on the sequel trilogy and uh, for all intents and purposes, intents and purposes, I always mix those up. Uh, for whatever it's worth, uh, I believe that's officially the end of the Skywalker saga. They just did the yeah. nine movies, put the cap on that. Um, there was that period between what we're talking about right now, the sequels and the original trilogy when George Lucas uh, basically had a blank check to create the prequel trilogy to explain the rise of Darth Vader. Um, in here, I'm just kind of telling people what they know, basically. But um, he goes out, he makes the prequels. And <clears throat> um, I would say he was very reactionary in creating his episode two uh, and three. And in some ways, I think Disney kind of copied that with uh, episode nine. Hmm. Um, sorry, I'm kind of all over the place. There's a no, lot of thoughts it, I have about Star Wars. Yeah, I've never, it, I'm realizing I never talk about it on a podcast. So see, it's this is, difficult. Th- I might this, need you to rein me in a little bit. This will be my role. I'm going to, I'm going to force you to narrow down your, your ah, conversation. Force. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my first question to you, um, yeah. we're going to get into the scene, but I think we're just having sort of a general Star Wars conversation here, but yeah. Um, what, what's your, what's your overall feeling about the prequels? Uh, uh, Obviously, in the Star Wars nerdiverse, if that's a thing, <laughs> there seem to be very uh, different feelings about the prequels. I, I have my own, but I'm curious about you as a big Star Wars fan. Like, wh- where do you come down on the on the prequel trilogy? Um, I mean, I have, I, I, I believe after like 
after the special editions came out um, of the first, the original trilogy. So if I count those, I believe I've seen all of the Star Wars movies in theaters, Hmm. um, including that prequel trilogy. I remember just the hype around episode one. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then people kind of being excited at right afterwards and like kind of that long, like thinking about it stage led a lot of people to say like, Oh, it wasn't necessarily as good as people thought at first. Um, over time, that's probably my track too. Mm-hmm. And now I've definitely come around on, I would say all of the prequels where, um, I really enjoy what George Lucas was trying, what he was, um, trying to do as a storyteller, uh, tell the origins of this humongous franchise that he started um just jumping from character to character plot point to plot point all of course to lead to anakin skywalker becoming darth vader um i will say like phantom menace is up there probably my favorite one of my favorite star wars movies Hmm. um just because of its origin stories that it's trying to deal with i'm a huge fan of origin stories and that's a big reason why i chose this scene uh today um but as things kind of turn more dark and dark and dark in episode three, revenge of the Sith, that tends to be like the high point for a lot of people. when they talk about the prequels and star Wars in general. But for me, that, like that darkness kind of turns me away a little bit. Like oh, uh, I definitely, yeah, I, I kind of have probably the opposite feeling of a lot of star Wars fans who really like episode three and to a degree one, but not two. And I'm kind of the opposite a little huh. bit. I feel like I'm go one, two, and then three, but um, I, it's it's you know a habit of mine as a Star Wars fan every year or so to watch all the episodes back to back to back to back over the course of who knows like two months with yeah you know, just when, whenever you time. can fit it in <laughs> whenever you can fit it in yeah. so uh, watching one two and three definitely does a nice job I think of of setting the table for the rest of the universe that's what about int- you that's interesting I I definitely do fall into that camp that you were just describing like I've always pointed to episode three as being my favorite of the prequels um, because Mm. I like seeing that transformation happen. I I like, and you know, you know me, like I'm, I like dark stories. I like horror movies. So that, that, that one definitely has more of a dark feel to it. And I guess I respond to that and I like seeing his downfall and his transformation into Darth Vader. Like when I very first saw that I was, pretty gripped by the by the film and like was kind of in awe of uh watching him actually transform into this character this bad guy character that i've been watching for decades you know and Mm -hmm. like now i finally get to see like how he was created um so i've i've always pointed to that one but um i find that interesting that that you're kind of the other way around um yeah, I think that's just more my like you're saying like your yeah, yeah. predilection of like oh, I don't like I don't like this dark stuff. I don't like him killing kids. And, <laughs> right. That's right. Just, yeah, totally. Uh and but I I I've never been you know, like some people get real upset when they start talking about the prequels, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've never been that way. Like I I understand they have their flaws and there's certain parts of all of the movies that I I don't like so much, but um I'm like you. I can watch them and enjoy them just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I can ignore Jar Jar if I need to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Ooh, Misa? <laughs> so, but I, I definitely have not watched, of all the Star Wars movies, I've watched the prequels the least by mm-hmm. far. So I don't know them as well as, as the other movies for sure. 
Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I like how you're talking about a lot of people maybe not liking the prequels. Um, I think a lot of that changed when Disney bought Lucasfilm or yeah, bought the Star Wars franchise from George Lucas back in 2012 and started to make their own movies. Yeah. Starting with this one, 2015, and then especially with Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, uh, I feel like that really had an, this huge online backlash to the point of people saying that the prequels uh, were uh, underappreciated, underrated. Mm. Uh, and then that Disney Star Wars was just... <laughs> Not good, <laughs> but I, I see that all. Honestly, I see all a lot of that backlash and a lot of that attitude much more online than like real people who I talk to. Right, right. Uh, weird. I think that's people the on the internet are are are, <laughs> are disingenuous and rude. Um, what? what is the Force Awakens your favorite of the um, sequels? I I think it might be. I don't know. I I have just recently rewatched all the sequels uh, in preparation for this mm. along with a, another movie I'll talk about uh, a little bit later. Uh, but in watching the three in a row, like I've just really come to appreciate uh, the different characters that um, we're seeing uh, progress over the three movies. I would argue what a lot of people argue about rise of Skywalker episode nine, and that it doesn't fully finish up a lot of people's stories. Mm. Um, it really focuses on Ray uh, but I mean, keep in mind for anybody out there, like any Star Wars fans, like the sequel trilogy is essentially about Ray, right? Uh, redeeming uh, Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, um, and the other characters are kind of just there. I feel like Return of the Jedi did that a lot with like Princess Leia and Han Solo as uh, Luke Skywalker redeems Darth Vader. It's like they're definitely put on the sideline and they're just kind of like making goofy faces and hugging teddy bears. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and that's fine. And that's fine for a, a movie to shift focus. I would have loved to see like a longer cut of episode nine, that mm. said. Um, so if I were to, um, that would, you know, flesh out the characters a little more, give us maybe a couple more plot points, just a couple moments to breathe. But overall, I did enjoy it. Um, and we'll talk about some of the symbolism at the end of that movie with, symbolism here in the start of this movie uh but if i had to rank them i don't know it might be seven eight nine or eight seven nine um yeah because I, I do like that last jedi too it's just a, a gorgeous movie and it does all this uh, neat stuff with luke skywalker um there's a little side quest going on that i mean as a star wars fan who just wants to know more about the universe i, I just yeah i can't help but love the little things like the side quests. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm with you. I, I would probably rank them seven, eight, nine for myself too. I, I, mm -hmm. I think the force awakens is my favorite um, of the sequels. And uh, I should probably go watch, go back and watch episode nine again so that I, I remember it this time. Um, <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> but I, I, I like eight. I like, uh, I like the last Jedi. I, I, I don't know. I've, I've had conversations with people that really, we're down on that movie. And I, mm -hmm. I didn't feel that way. I thought it was a interesting entry in the, in the series. So, yeah, I feel like that's kind of like the dark horse of the, at least the sequels where it's just tonally a lot different. Mm -hmm. It is trying to tell a story in a different way than what we're used to. Uh, and it's taking characters uh, in different directions than a lot of people probably imagined, Yeah, you know, over the course of decades. Uh, which can happen if you're like immortalizing these characters or uh, looking up to them so much and like kind of playing out their own journeys and adventures in your head. And then you see it on the screen. And it's not done that way. I can, I can understand the backlash. I, I can understand the disdain. Um, 
but I can still appreciate, I feel like I still appreciate a lot of uh, what the new people did, JJ and uh, Ryan. Yeah. You know, I don't want to watch the exact same thing over and over again. (laughs) Right. You know, like I find it interesting to see what these characters and what this world looks like through someone else's perspective or to like, just kind of tell a story in a different way. I think that's interesting. And uh, everyone that was so upset about it, I didn't quite, understand like one no one owes you anything like this is someone's vision for this film and it's their film and this is what they made and like i don't know you know just sit back and enjoy it for what it is you know it it doesn't have to be uh doesn't have to be a slight on your existence (laughs) yeah it's it's, that's funny you say don't want to see the exact same thing i think a lot of people point to this movie episode seven force awakens as a soft reboot mm. or a retread of a new hope. And I think a lot of the elements are there. I think that argument is valid. Under, I can understand that argument. I, I, I think we'll get into it when we start talking about the scene, because there's, yeah. there's, you know, a lot of, uh, you might call it nostalgia porn in this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I get that to a certain extent for sure. Yeah. I, I get that too, but I, I do see this movie doing its own thing too. It's yeah. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Like you said, so we should probably start, I don't know, thinking about the scene and then we can uh, like last episode. I like how you save the box office stuff for afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we actually haven't mentioned uh, what scene we're going to be doing today. So, Oh, good call. Yeah. So our, our scene today, we're calling this Ray's introduction. The timestamp here for anybody wanting to watch uh, before they listen is a uh, minute uh, 10. Uh, it's uh, 10 minutes and 44 seconds into the film and then ends at uh, about 16 minutes and 44 seconds. So it, almost exactly six minutes. And mm-hmm. this is when we are first introduced to our main character, Ray. So Ray. John, I'm going to throw it to you. Why did you choose this particular scene? Uh, thanks. Thanks for the, uh, the toss. Appreciate that. <laughs> right down Broadway or whatever they say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's knock it out of the park. Right down the, right out of the park. Um, yeah. I chose this scene because uh, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, like on our podcast before predator minute podcast and the previous uh, three episodes of this podcast, seen it all with Jeff and John, uh, we have not really ever talked about a female character. We kind of talked about a female character a little bit in passing in predator minute with Anna slash Anna. Anna, Anna. Anna Anna, the lone survivor of the gorilla camp assault by Dutch's team. Uh, But she in the movie was kind of just there to give dial or give backstory to the predator visiting the jungle. Um, She didn't really have much agency or really any agency. Um, Very much a side background character. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I knew, obviously, I'm a Star Wars junkie, and I just want to talk about Star Wars sometimes, uh, and I haven't had the opportunity opportunity to do it yet on our show or any podcast, so I figured we'll take some Star Wars, and uh, maybe we can have some female representation as well uh, in a character and pull a scene out, and uh, I immediately thought of Rey. I'd, yeah, Princess Leia is a major figure, but I, I figure let's jump to something a little bit newer. Mm-hmm. Um, all the movies you talked about are what eighties and nineties movies, including predator. So let's jump to something in the very, uh, the very recent timeline, 2015. Um, and yeah, something of a lightning rod character in Ray. Um, but something that really, 
I don't know how to say it. it, it it's something that uh, lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Um, something that's notable about this. Uh, your oh, cho- oh, oh, no, I know where Go I was ahead. going. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. The last little bit. Um, another reason I chose this scene is because I love origin stories. Mm. Uh, and when I talk about like movies I love or scenes I love, um, there's or shows I love. It's so many times the part I love the most about that show or that movie or that character is the beginning is the setup of who that character is. Uh, in this case, we're talking about a character, right? A new character to us, but in a world, a galaxy universe that we know very well. Uh, so to me, it's really neat to see uh, the beginnings of this character, how they set her up. And I think they set her up fantastically in this uh, scene, this short little, like you said, six minute scene. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a character who just goes with us for the entire sequel trilogy. And like I mentioned before is the main focus of the sequel trilogy. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I, I, I really liked it. I, uh, something notable about this scene is that it's, you know, we've done a lot of, um, we've talked about predator, which is an action movie for oh, right. 104 episodes and, and all three episodes leading up to this one have been uh, action scenes that we've broken down. Uh, but this is a notably not an action scene. This is just our first introduction to this character. Um, but watching this uh, several times in preparation for this, um, I really appreciate this sequence and, and we'll get into why in a minute, but um, I like that you chose something that was a little bit off um, our normal track here and track. uh track <laughs> oh, we just brought it right back on <laughs> track. <laughs> but something slow i love how you're mentioning it. it's not actiony there's no yeah uh like whip pans to write violence and explosions uh and uh one-liners it's uh it's a really slow kind of character introduction in a slow setting uh that we're coming to know yeah, and it's it's a really nice kind of deep breath that the movie takes right here because mm-hmm. the movie starts you know pretty fast paced. There's a lot of action in the first ten minutes of the movie. Um, they're kind of establishing several characters and they do it all very quickly. Mm-hmm. When then when they bring in Ray, the whole movie takes a big deep breath and slows down for a moment. Mm-hmm. And and we'll talk about some of the shot sequences and the way they choose to kind of show off her environment. But um, it's it's a really cool way to just get a sense of who this person is, where do they live, how do they live, and it, it uh, raises a lot of questions that we want answered, right? Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. sort of preps us for the rest of the movie and really the whole rest of the series. Yeah, um, I, I'd say before we break down the scene piece by piece. Uh, I always like to bring up just a, a quick what's at stake in the scene. Like what are our stakes? What's you know, at stake? Should, should that be our stake? sound drop? What's at stake? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds kind of like we're copying ruined. Hey, by the way, did, uh, it was really exciting that ruined read my email. Oh yeah. Yeah. I listened to that episode. I was like, yeah. John Z. I, I asked them a question. Oh, they're going to read it. <laughs> that movie exciting. they talked about sounded awful oh, oh it God. sounded awful but just so fun to listen <laughs> to them it was yeah uh, everyone check cool. out ruined a great podcast yeah with allison Leiby and hallie Kiefer. uh but uh yeah we talk about the stakes uh, right now like as a viewer like the stakes are pretty darn low the, as a viewer you're like mm-hmm. okay this is a character i don't know who this is okay we're in a desert kind of like tatooine 
uh, like, I don't really know what's at stake in the movie, movie wise, like later on, uh, we'll have some scenes where the stakes will be raised, but I wrote this as the meta stakes. This is Disney, right? Kicking off their mm. brand new shiny trilogy with their new protagonist. The first major protagonist. It's a girl, Ray. Very exciting to have a, a female uh, led star Wars for once. Um, in, in the past, it's been dudes. So it's nice to focus on a female. But yeah, so it's it's huge stakes for Disney in introducing this character who they're banking the whole sequel trilogy on, uh, a really inexperienced actress and yeah. uh, Daisy Ridley. Um, and then later on we learn, oh, okay, there's some stakes having to do with uh, BB-8 at the end of this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I think the stakes are super high for this scene for Disney as a whole and it's um, – Endeavor with uh, Star Wars. Interesting. I like the meta stakes. Meta stakes. Meta stakes. Mm, meat stakes. <laughs> well, should we uh, start breaking this down? Let's do it. Uh, if you want, you can take on, or if you if you'd like to, if you'd like to, please, with my permission, <laughs> break down part one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, part one here. We're gonna go from minute ten forty uh, up to minute twelve fifty nine. We cut from Finn's helmeted head to a masked, goggled face peering into an opening. The face looks around the opening before reaching in and grabbing a power cell. Cut to a wide shot of the masked scavenger jumping from the opening onto a rope and sliding down the rope deep into a derelict shaft. Cut to an even wider shot of the scavenger, still sliding, now into an immense interior space, the bottom of which is strewn with wrecked vehicles. The scavenger lands and walks towards the opening in the side of the large space, cut to the exterior, and the scavenger unmasks herself to drink some water. Cut to a very wide shot of the scavenger standing in front of a giant, mechanized cavern in the sand. She loads her findings and her staff onto a sled and rides it down a sandy dune, which we see in a wide shot that is topped with the crashed hulk of an Imperial Star Destroyer. She then pulls her sled over to her waiting speeder and loads the speeder with her found items, the sled, and the staff. She zooms across the desert landscape in an even wider shot, revealing in the background another hulking star destroyer crashed long ago in the desert sand. We also see a crashed X-Wing in the foreground. Cut then to a bird pecking at some metal as she speeds towards a small settlement. Cut to the scavenger unloading the goods from her sled and pulling them into the settlement Past another scavenger who is leaving. Ooh. Oh, yeah, a lot, lot, lot of uh, <laughs> kind of another break is is uh, no dialogue being exchanged. No dialogue, <clears throat> along with no action. Uh, we don't know really uh, this scavenger's voice. We do see her face uh, at the end of this first part, uh, but we don't know what she sounds like so a a lot of mystery being packed into this introduction which is uh really neat uh uh, other characters in this movie were not introduced necessarily uh wordlessly and definitely not introduced without action so right uh, it's 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 a nice way to introduce like our fourth major player of the sequel trilogy the way this scene starts out with her scavenging around the interior of this what is it? It's a large um, star destroyer or yeah, something. Yeah, this is a star destroyer, the Interrogator. It's it's a really it's a really amazing set design. I know a lot of it is probably CG, but the the attention to detail and 
the expanse, you really get a sense of what a big space that she's in as she like flies down that rope, don't you? Yeah, it's just immense. And at first, I love the reveal. At first, uh, and when I say reveal, I'm talking about like a multi-stage reveal. At first, when she's looking into the little opening, it could just be anywhere. This opening, this little kind of cubby could be anywhere. Right, right. But then when it zooms out and she's sliding down this kind of metal shaft on a rope, you're like, okay, I'm seeing like a few more items. And then she just, yeah, drops down to this huge cavern. And then right away, if you're a Star Wars fan, you're recognizing things like the ruins of a TIE fighter, uh, the ruins of one of those shuttle craft, like you see yeah. in Return of the Jedi, the shuttle, shuttle Tiderian. So uh, right away, you're being pulled into like the old bones, the old skeletons of the ori- original trilogy. And one more big reveal is... Um, seeing her sled down uh, that Sandy Hill in front of uh, what looked like to be these engines. And even then it's weird, but even then, like if, if you might not know, well, as a, when she does zoom, uh, when it does zoom out and she's sliding down, you do have a really good idea that that is a star destroyer. And then you see like the final big reveal that, Oh, that, okay. There are star destroyers crash in the desert. This is, and I think it's an amazing way to introduce not just her, but, uh, where she is, like, kind of in the in the war, basically between the Empire and the Rebellion, it's really cool. And this these are the things that some people uh, point to as being like just cheap nostalgia porn uh, moments, right? But mm-hmm. I, I don't feel that way. I uh, or if if it is, then it works for me. <laughs> you know, like I loved uh, that reveal, and I loved seeing all these um, aircraft and and spacecraft. Uh, that I recognize, but it's, and it's cool to see them in like a kind of a disheveled, destroyed way. Like the, the leftovers of some big battle that happened long ago. And it, it brings up a lot of questions about oh, what happened here. You know, who, who was fighting in this land? Why is this here now? And, uh, and then who is this person that's just sort of uh, rummaging through it and scavenging for parts? I, I I, I, I'm on board for it 100% every time I watch. Yeah, and seeing the Star Destroyers wrecked, uh, I I think that's the first time you see them like that prone in Star Wars right, where right. there's no threat at all from them. And so, therefore, you're seeing that. You're probably thinking, well, there's right no more threat of the Empire anymore yeah. because I know this is, right, the Force Awakens and I, you know, read a couple promos where Harrison Ford is coming back and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, and they must be all older. So this is probably way after uh, the Empire has been around. And now you're seeing that that visually um, and just, yeah, these kind of short little shots, but uh, really effective in, right, kind of putting you in the place and maybe even a time uh, in the galaxy. How badly do you want to sled down that uh, sandy slope? <laughs> so bad. That looked, oh my gosh, so fun if it was real. But I know I, just just some YouTube random commenter I saw when I was uh, watching some videos on Ray's introduction and her theme, which we can talk about in a moment, uh, said that it's just like a horizontal shot of someone pulling her sled across, you know, a sandy plain, mm. and then inverting or not inverting, but then rotating that some 45 degrees to give her that. But that is an amazing, amazing looking sled ride. If you, if you could find something like this. Uh, yeah. Yes. And 
the effect there is really well done because I totally thought that she was like really sliding down a hill. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it looks it looks like straight up like she's yeah and bombing so, down. I mean, to help with dude. this, to help with that, right? All these effects of being in the desert. They are in the deserts of Abu Dhabi. Oh, okay. Uh, hot, sandy Middle Eastern country that honestly I don't know too much about. Um, <laughs> but that's where they filmed, similar to how they filmed Tatooine scenes in Tunisia in North Africa. Uh, but now I believe this is on the is this on the Arabian Peninsula. Come on, help me out, geography. Uh, Just kidding. You're not sure. Geography. Yes, it, it's where uh, Garfield sends uh, Odie when he gets mad at him. <laughs> it's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out, yeah, he was in the middle of uh, seeing some Star Wars action around him. Now, uh, we are actually on the uh, planet of Jakku. Is that right? Yes, this is the planet Jakku. Mm. We actually saw this at night uh, when Kylo Ren came to try to find this round droid with the plans or the map to Luke Skywalker. This is why the droid is there, right? Because he got separated in that battle and yes. Yeah. Okay. So you keep me straight here. See, I got to lean on you for the story. (laughs) Poe gave him the little map and then told him to get out of there. Uh, And then Poe is captured, but BB-8 continues on his way to, to uh, who knows what, find help or whatnot. At this point in the scene, like, BB-8's out there, but we don't know where he is. So um, we don't know that connection. But yeah, this is this is the same planet we saw in the beginning, just a different location. And during and it's at daytime, not nighttime. At, at daytime, without the stormtroopers around, it's, it looks just really peaceful. Really, uh, kind of a place you could maybe make a living scavenging parts. <laughs> yeah. So this is a we're to assume like a scavenging town that uh, looks like they're taking advantage of all these broken down star destroyers and old hunks of metal that have been left behind. Mm-hmm. Is that what they're doing here? Yeah. So yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in part two, part two. Got it. When she's scrubbing her junk. <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> you might have to read that in one of the scene breakdowns. I can't remember. Yep. I uh, did. <laughs> scrub that junk. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I don't know if I have more to add on this, uh, section. Um, oh, I think, I think we have to talk about Ray's theme and if yes. you want, we could like I listen almost... to it one more time. I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't mind taking like a, a 30 second break just to, just to hear the start of it, just to hear the start of it. This is, uh, I'll definitely drop it in here. But, um, when I think of this movie and Ray or yeah, just this movie or the sequels in general, I can't help but think of Ray's theme. I think it's one of Star Wars's better tracks. Track, track, track. Um, I think there's a lot to it. Um, I've watched video breakdowns. I listened to the Art of the Score podcast mm. um, briefly, but really just for their analysis of this theme. And they called this um, noble but delicate in the beginning. That's a good uh, description. Yeah, a really good description by guys who know their music. Yeah. Um, and that overall, they're thinking maybe the, they're thinking the theme itself swings between the heights that one could reach and being a hero and saving the galaxy, uh, but also the gap between just dreaming those things and then achieving those. Uh, so, like in the beginning, it starts off like very music boxy, this do do do, like very childlike, kind of innocent. Yeah. Uh, and then 
as it goes, right, we pick up with this little flute action, this do 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 it's, it's kind of almost like this dancing. There's, there's a little bit of action to the theme. And then just classic John Williams, um, it becomes this kind of full-fledged heroic theme for Rain. We hear this all throughout the sequel trilogy. We see her, like, reaching for, maybe stumbling at times. You, you hear... Another really notable time you hear this theme is in Last Jedi when she's swinging the lightsaber at the rocks. You know, she starts off with her staff and then she realizes, okay, like I'm training to be a Jedi. I need to bust out the lightsaber. Uh, and you you hear like kind of like that childlike kind of music box beginning when she's doing that. That scene really stands out to me. Her training basically kind of by herself while Luke Skywalker watches. And then at one point she cuts the top of the rock off with the lightsaber <laughs> but you hear that theme bust in there again and it just really swells in that in that scene and, and is making the viewer hopefully realize Ray is like really really making big steps um, to being a Jedi to being that hero um, yeah well and in in this scene when we're introduced to her that I mean the music is fantastic you're right but it mm-hmm. it gives us a sense of um that the, the, here's a person that you know really can only go up from here. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, they're they're literally <laughs> in in you know the bottom of the basement uh, of a, a abandoned star destroyer trying to eke out a living, and uh, it gives you very strong like underdog vibes. You know, like an underdog story, like someone yes. who's going to come yes. up, someone yeah, someone who's who's going to fight through their predicament and. Uh, and, and rise above whatever um, difficulty they've been given in life. And you, you just get that sense when you, when you hear that swell of the music and it, you know, again, it's it, a, a lot of components of this movie are designed to sort of pull on those emotions. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I'm 100% there for it. Like I, I go all in, I have to admit, like I, I, I'm in there and I'm, and when we're in this scene and we hear that music and we're getting introduced to her, like I'm on board. I want to know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And we're just, we're seeing the life of a, of a scavenger. Like it's, it's hard work. We're going <laughs> to, yeah, it's really make hard this work. Look really tough. This isn't like some kind of cartoony, like, Oh, I'm just like, Oh, I just found a piece. I'm just going to, you know, go trade this, I guess. And have a good old day, have a good meal and have another adventure. No, it's kind of like, this is, we're going to see overall, but this is her day. It's scavenging, having food, and then right, going to sleep in a crashed AT-AT Imperial Walker. Right, at right. your term. And some crappy food, too. Ugh. This is starting her off in this desert environment. And she starts off uh, just thinking about the other sequels uh, in a different environment in every movie. Mm. In episode eight, she's on the island, Octu or Octo with Luke. Uh, and then... then in episode nine, in the beginning, she's in the forest training with Leia. Uh, so it's, I think that's neat showing her progression through the sequels in the beginning, right? Clearly, she's alone here, no direction, no goals. Uh, and then next movie at the start, okay, she's a student, like literally reaching out saying, teach me. And then in that last movie, she has a teacher then, mm. uh, and she's just training, training, training nonstop to be better. Uh, so it's definitely showing that progression, uh, at the opening of every movie. Yeah. And so in this one, she's in like the most desolate, difficult environment that she could start in. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, I'd say each of these parts, part one and part two, part three, how we have it broken down is showing some different trait of her here. Here, she's showing like her true survivalist nature, you know, her scavenging skills, her toughness, right? We see her yeah. uh, in the desert and they're just kind of sledding down uh, her environment. Yeah, essentially brushing it off and, and not caring like how tough this environment is with her. Well, and you see that she's a, a survivor, right? Yes. Like she's uh, clearly strong. She's uh, pretty smart. She's figured out how to survive in this admittedly like difficult world where she's basically in a desert with a bunch of junk surrounding her. And she's, you know, got to find a way to uh, have shelter and eat food and uh, with no real future in terms of like working or having a job or anything like that. So she's resilient, she's resourceful and you just, you get that uh, vibe from her in the first, you know, two minutes of meeting her. Yeah. 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 She has all her limbs, right? She has her eyes. <laughs> she does. No right? red arms. Yeah. No red. Ar- <laughs> I wouldn't recognize her with that. <laughs> oh, last little bit of trivia is, uh, her face covering is using goggles taken taken from a stormtrooper helmet, and they're oh, just, yeah. I don't know if they're angled or flipped upside down, uh, but I, that's a bit of trivia. Like <laughs> I've somehow known for many years, <laughs> like basically since it came out. Uh, so that's a neat little, uh, another neat little nostalgia poke. Um, that oh, okay, if you recognize those ear or those eye pieces that's another like elbow your friend in the side of the movie theme well that's a nice jump because in the previous scene you know uh finn (laughs) is taking his stormtrooper helmet off and uh then we kind of cut to this scavenger who's wearing a piece of some old imperial uh uniform you know so that's Mm -hmm. pretty cool yeah all right part two should we do it let's do it okay part two this is going to go from uh minute 13 to Minute 1444. In the settlement called the Nema Outpost, the scavenger scrubs the spaceship junk, taking a moment to look at another possible scavenger who is also scrubbing their junk. (laughs) As she stares at the other junk scrubber, an an alien bangs on the table and yells at her. She resumes scrubbing. Cut to the... Oh man! <laughs> Cut to the scavenger standing at a kiosk, and the junk boss Unkar Plut tells her, "What you brought me today is worth mm, one quarter portion." Nice. As he looks at the loot, he slams a plas- plastic-wrapped food packet on the counter, and the scavenger takes it and then leaves. We see another long shot of the speeder zipping across the horizon. This time setting against a, er, this time against a setting sun. Cut to the interior of the scavenger's home. We see a dead plant and a rebel pilot doll. She scratches a tally mark, one of many, many tally marks, against the home's interior wall. She uses the potion, uh, the portion food to make vegetables and an instantly rising bread, and then she exits the home. Sitting outside, she eats her food, sees a spaceship taking off in the distance, and puts on an old rebel pilot helmet. We then cut to a wide shot to show her sitting at the base of a foot of an Imperial Walker, otherwise known as an AT-AT or All-Terrain Armored Transport, or as I always called it when I was a kid, an AT-AT. Oh, you're an AT-AT fan. Look at you. <laughs> well, there are uh, some hard lines drawn in the Jakku sand about what to call 
ATAT or ADAT. I, I know. I, uh, I, I've had to. <laughs> I've had to pull back on my ADAT um, <laughs> when I realized that it was so controversial. So oh, so controversial. Man. Like, yeah, you think you think raise controversial? Just go start saying ADAT and AT at different people. See how they react. I, I've always been ATAT fan, but <laughs> I mean, like you know me, I just say what you're going to say. It doesn't yeah, matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's all made up. So the Nema Outpost. This is a. Uh, this looks like a rough neighborhood here. It does. It looks like a rough, just kind of uh, another barren. I don't know. It's it's a barren neighborhood. I guess that matches the barren landscape. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, again Abu Dhabi filming, and they said they these scenes 125 degree heat as Oof. they're scrubbing their junk. <laughs> oh, with a dry brush of all things, oh, right? With boy. Maybe maybe a little bit of cleaning oil or something some like that. Chafing there. Yeah. Oh, definitely some chafing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> junk is just not gonna not fetch a good portion. Gonna scrub itself. <laughs> scrub itself. <laughs> um, yeah, here they're doing uh, clearly some looking ahead for the character so that she can see what her possible future is. I know it's heavy handed, but I enjoy it. It's, it doesn't take that long. It's all of four or five seconds before she's just like snapped awake. Like, Oh, remember you're here to uh, sell your junk that you found. Yeah. Um, you're, you're here. And, and uh, I'm not seeing like a lot of breaks in her day yet. It seems like, yeah, it's still a really tough day. Now, now you're cleaning what looks to be, you know, maybe a, a power cell or a battery and a blaster. Never really noticed the blaster there before. Uh, but what do you take from that scrub, scrub, scrub scene? Well, I, you know, she's, uh, this is, a. Uh... She's got a tough road to hoe here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you just, you get a, a sense of um, the, I don't know if despair is too strong of a word, but um, just the sense of these people sort of holding on to what they can. And you realize in this scene what she's doing. Okay. She's grabbing this junk and she's taking it to this little like crappy outpost where there's some uh, creature, some guy that's, you know, got the, the, the vibe of a pawn shop in terms mm. of how bad they're screwing you over the value of what you're actually probably bringing them. Yeah. You know, I mean, who knows what that's worth, but it's probably worth more than a, a quarter of a, a piece of bread or whatever, you know? Right. Right. And uh, so you just get the sense that these people are just eking out uh, not, I wouldn't even say a living. They're just eking out a, a, a survival in this little desert hole here. And, uh, that, that, that's the feeling I get. I, I was also going to say that this is one of my favorite parts of, of star Wars movies in general. Like I always love these little scenes when they kind of like zoom in and you get just a little window into some little town or community or whatever that exists in the star Wars universe. And, uh, and they're always all different. Like the, you get different, uh, little snapshots depending on what planet you're on, depending on, you know, uh, if it's poor or rich. And so here's one that, um, we haven't really seen before, like this little sort of scavenger outpost in the middle of a, uh, harsh desert. And, uh, you see all the different people that live there and the creatures that live there. And, and I don't know, I love that world building aspect of this little sequence. Yeah. I mean, they built the NEMA outpost. It's all real. It's all practical, right? Mm. Everybody's wearing costumes. 
Uh, there's the wonderful, wonderful gunk droid. <laughs> it's the garbage can looking droid in front of the concession stand. Yeah. just kind of like rocks back and forth. He, he, it showed up, uh, I believe, in episode four. It's one of the first droids you see, and it's on the Jawa Sandcrawler, oh. where C-3PO and R2-D2 are taken to. Um, see, this is why you're here, John. The, this yeah. is the information that I like. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say with the with the all this new stuff, it's nice, I think, to have those things to anchor us back to where we are in the Star Wars galaxy. Yeah. Um, if everything's brand new, then I think you run the risk of, I don't know, making it kind of like an all new franchise. And um, I wouldn't want to see a brand new Star Wars that's just everything's brand new and you have nothing to anchor you. And yeah, sometimes there's some big things to anchor you, like a Star Destroyer, or sometimes there's little things like the gonk droid and just, yeah, yeah, I don't think you even hear a gonk, but it traditionally makes a, a gonk, like a gonk noise. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's good to have uh, those pieces in there. Um, and like you were saying, like looking forward to her future and like uh, there's there's not a whole lot of uh, hope or like, <laughs> no, you know, ver- what is it? Vertical movement. <laughs> In the field here, no, it's, it's not a lot of much, room for. Yeah, for, pretty much you're there, stuck in the sand. There you go. There's your uh, terrible metaphors. You're just you're just walking, churning in the sand. So uh, tell me about this guy, this pawn shop looking kind of guy. His name is Unkar Plut. Am I saying that right? Plut. Yeah, I hear Unkar Plut. Unkar. Sometimes you hear Unkar Plot, uh, also called, well, you named yourself this, also called the Blobfish, but really behind <laughs> his back because he's just kind of big and blubbery. He does Apparently, look like he, a blobfish, yeah. He does look like a blobfish. He comes from, I guess, an aquatic world. I don't have that in front of me. I didn't want to dive too deep into the side things too much. There are you can few. really go deep. Really, yeah. I'll go deep with the I'll, I'll go deep with the bread. How about that? Yeah, um, there you go. Yeah. But this is Simon Pegg playing him in the costume in the so, 25 degree heat. Not to interrupt you, but that's crazy. That's Simon Pegg? That's Simon Pegg. Wow. Uh, always, a guy who's always been a Star Wars fan, a guy who has always been uh, friends with J.J. Abrams, I guess, mm-hmm. at least ever since uh, Star Trek 2009, which Abrams directed and wrote and uh, Simon Pegg uh, played Scotty in, um, and you and I, we're not going to go that or whatever. Too too easy <laughs> to go down another thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, another fun fact about Uncar Plutt running the what's called the concession stand is that in a deleted scene later on, he chases down the people who stole his Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, in Takodana or Takodana, that's Maz's castle, Maz's castle. Yeah. Totally don't know my as and my as. Mm. I always forget which one is which. But anyway, uh, in all that commotion, or maybe before the first order comes and rips apart the castle, he confronts Ray about the Millennium Falcon and pokes at Chewie's bandaged arm, like saying, "Like, what are you going to do about it?" And Chewbacca literally rips off uh, Uncar Plot's arm. <laughs> That's great. That's what he's going to do. I wish I could see that scene. <laughs> yeah, you can. There's a there. You can. Oh, you search can. It up on YouTube. Yeah, oh, just nice. Search it up. Uh, Uncar Plutt deleted scene. Okay. Yeah, it's it's definitely pre-rendered, so Uncar Plutt is looking really cartoony there. Uh, yeah. Half a Wookiee isn't much. But he's not looking cartoony here. He's looking like a big, gross, like like his namesake, Blobfish. Uh, and 
I would definitely have the vibes of like an orphanage run by, you know, a cruel headmaster. Right. Yeah. What you brought me today is worth one quarter portion. Someone who's who's definitely not looking out for the best interests, uh, just running everything, um, keeping everybody under just barely his alive. Thumb. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People barely subsisting Subs- subsistence junk traders and what they're trading for. And we can talk more about this in a moment. Uh, but they're trading for what are called portions. Uh, I did a little bit of research to learn that these are portions left over from the crashes of those huge ships. Those mm. people who were the soldiers in those ships long ago, 30 years prior to this. These are like MREs. See, like, like, Yeah, these are the MREs. Yeah. These are their rations. Right. He just somehow came across like one of the Star Destroyers or multiple Star Destroyers stores of those rations. And that's what he keeps the people uh, alive around or around him alive with it's 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 kind of bizarre if i think about too much like what is his end game here what's his purpose i maybe it's just one of those guys who loves being like a small manager of an office or well if you know if he can convince people to bring him somewhat valuable you know junk or scrap and give them just these portions that he didn't have to pay for um, he, he can uh, br- essentially bribe all the people in this little outpost to bring him somewhat valuable stuff, which he could then turn around and, and resell for a profit, right? Mm-hmm. So he's acting like the middleman between the scavengers and, and uh, the people who would, who would actually buy the, the scrap metal, the junk, to turn into something else perhaps. So Sure. Yeah, and, and he's got the perfect currency to do it in that people out there need food and there's no way to grow it yourself because it's the middle of a desert. So he's taking kind of taking advantage of this position that he's put himself in. All the same, he's still just kind of like managing a bunch of <laughs> low level scavengers. Right, right. Not right. a lot going on. Like, how was the day at the office? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it was, uh, some people brought their scrub junk in and <laughs> gave him some like dirty grass and bread to eat and that's yeah what's going to happen tomorrow too so maybe a similar similarly no gold character right now other than just making a little bit of money off of the scrap um but bring it back around to ray like here we're further seeing her interactions she, you know maybe she's possibly looking into her future of just being the yeah. old craggly junk scrubber and like the one person who's giving her dialogue who's talking to her is just right it's all business and uh Probably not a very kind interaction, a kind figure to her. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you're right when you say she's looking across the table at that other junk scrubber and <laughs> seeing what she might be doing 30 years in the future and is probably not too excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I mean, we she, get a little... She's just, she's oh. just like when he gives her the portion, she just has that kind of like orphan look. Like it's just kind of like kind of like beaten down. Yeah hopeless look um, like what choice does she have but to take it because she needs to eat you know she doesn't talk back she doesn't show kind of like the ray that we come to know later on that kind of scrappy independent minded well not independent minded that maybe that's not the right word but um gosh i don't know like someone who someone who will push back like she does she's not showing that at all uh here maybe she'll show it in part three but we're not there yet we need to go to her house unless you had more to say before we go to her cool home. No, I was about to transition to that. So we, we get uh, a little uh, insight into where she lives. She heads back to her little home, which she has built um, 
into the side of a abandoned uh, ATAT, uh, mm-hmm. which is also a very cool reveal that happens because yeah. um, we see her go into the home and we see the inside of the home for a little bit. We see her make that food, which we'll talk about. And then that reveal is she's sitting outside and it's this, you know, uh, knocked over uh, dead ATAT in the sand is one of my favorite little shots mm-hmm. really of this, the first part of this movie, but one of my favorite shots in this scene for sure. Yeah. That, that nice little reveal. I do. I do remember seeing some of these shots specifically in theater and that was definitely one yeah. where you're realizing she's making her home and like an old ATAT, an old Walker. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> how, how cool is that? Just one of those, how cool is that moments? Like, ah, uh, like that's the elbow to the person sitting next to me. I can't remember who that was. If that was brother Zach or if that was my wife. Yeah. My wife. But she goes into her little home that she's created here and she uh, mixes up her, her food portion. Mm-hmm. And this is a really cool little practical effect. I didn't realize that Way this cool. was a practical effect until I saw your research. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, so what do they call this? Uh, the polystarch portion bread? Is that what that is? Yeah, right? polystarch portion bread. Yeah. It has its own <laughs> Wikipedia page. If you can believe it, you can oh. believe it. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, an elaborate practical effect. I, I can read the quote. The special, uh, special effects supervisor Chris Corbold said, you wouldn't believe how long it took to actually perfect that one, that tiny little gag. In the film, while the mechanical aspects were simple, the cosmetic details took much longer, making the total effect take about three months to design. Wow. (laughs) An inflatable bladder molded to look like bread was placed at the bottom of a liquid-filled bowl, and as liquid was vacuumed out, the bread mold was inflated. The said bread, however, was reported to have tasted terrible and probably had next to no real nutritional value. (laughs) Well, I mean, of course. I mean, it's like a little inflatable bladder probably made of plastic or rubber. I don't know why you're eating that but uh it's such a cool effect another one where i see in, in the movie i'm like how do they do that yeah and she just grabbed the bread it's real uh, i i think it's just kind of like in this scene right here it's making the the magic or extraordinary mundane it's this yeah. is just part of her life it's just okay bread's ready uh, kind of like back to the future 2 they put the little pizza in the oven <laughs> right, and it comes out right. like a second later all big. Pizza. i'm like oh that's delicious i want pizza <laughs> here you go oh boy oh boy mom you sure can hydrate a pizza <laughs> i want in, i want i want this poly what it polystarch polystarch portion bread but yeah i like how like even though it's like kind of like a little gimmick yeah it's just making something kind of wondrous just a part of her day like yeah it's ready yeah it's just her normal evening she's just gonna make the bread real quick and uh, that, that you're right that is so cool when they do that and then it because you might be thinking it's a cgi effect and then she actually grabs it and picks it up and and the way it's done you realize oh no that's a real thing like that's an object that she just picked up um, right but yeah, uh, I, I like the way you put that, that we get an insight to her life, that even though this seems like, you know, futuristic uh, to us, this is just a mundane part of her daily life. And she's making the bread one more time so that she can stay alive on this godforsaken desert planet. <laughs> you know? And put another notch on the wall. We another don't know what for. We don't know what for. And that's right. That's another little building of the mystery. We haven't even heard her talk yet. We see her drawing on the wall. I don't know. When I first saw that, I had to think, oh, like she's counting up the days from something. Usually you see tallies on the wall for, I don't know, like a, like a gag in a, in a prison movie. 
right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's not really ever done seriously in a prison movie. It's usually like the kind of funny people and they're like maybe writing Roman numerals all of a sudden like that or right. drawing little pictures next to the tallies. But here, like it zooms out and you have what it must be thousands of tallies. It looks like hundreds of thousands. Yeah, it's a lot. Right. It's a lot. So she's been there for a while, clearly. Uh, but it also gives you the sense that she's doing that for a reason. Like mm-hmm. she's counting for a reason. There's, uh, She's got some purpose to it, but we just don't know what it is yet. Um, but uh, time and the keeping track of time is important to her for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, yeah, not only right keeping track of time, but also keeping little artifacts from mm. uh, the rebellion. We see the stuffed doll, which I think is <laughs> really cute. Uh, I don't, you know, you don't know why she has it. Um, I honestly think it's another like kind of mysterious part where she doesn't re- later on explain like, oh, I'm a huge fan of the rebellion. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of like the good guys. Yeah. But to me, that and keeping the rebel pilot helmet uh, later on that we'll see at the end of this second part um, are just ways to tell us the audience that she's a good person. She's a good guy. She would be against the empire, despite her sitting at the feet of a wrecked Walker. Uh, she's holding on to those like remnants of uh, the good side of the fight. Right. I, I love that little scene where they just hold the camera on her and she puts the helmet on mm-hmm. and just kind of puts it on and looks around with it on it. It makes her seem very young. It makes her seem a little silly. Like she's sort of like playing, like kind of having fun and almost like it's a, a funny joke to herself. Like she puts this funny helmet on and looks around with it on. Yeah. It's almost got, like she's piloting herself. Like yeah. She's pretending. It's, it's just got a very playful vibe to it. And I think it just that quick little moment uh, really does something for her character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also kind of shows her innocence a little bit right now in the story. Definitely. Definitely. That innocence, like, yeah, we mentioned that with the beginning of the race theme with that kind of innocent childlike music box quality. Um, and her right having a little stuffed toy, yeah. you know, having that helmet to do pretend rebel piloting against the empire. Uh, it's showing kind of that innocence, uh, but it's also showing like maybe a bit of nostalgia. Maybe she like us is thinking about the old movies, and the <laughs> right. old fight between the empire and the rebellion. Uh, but she comes home to to nobody. So to me, this scene is really showing her her loneliness, like in mm. her gutting it out. Of course, I'd say it's some kind of another scrappy. There's another ding for the word scrappy, but uh, yeah, on, on top of just being scrappy and yeah, lonely. Yeah, ooh, isolated. The, the lo- yeah, the loneliness is like kind of kind of telling here. It's uh, it's revealing her to be just maybe waiting for someone. Like when you're writing on tallies, um, right? And then it's kind of like a call forward with her looking up at the ship taking off. We'll see that um, repeated in a flashback with a different ship when she was younger. But that's like coming up later. You're not, I, I, yeah. It's it's one of those neat little details that you're probably not going to um, make those connections uh, if you uh, see this just one time. If you yeah. see it multiple times, much better chance that you're going to connect the things to the story, and especially with whatever she's waiting for. You might have forgotten later on in the movie that she's tallying on the wall, or that she saw a spaceship take off. Yeah, um, I agree. It. Um... It gives, you can tell she has a little sense of wonder. She's, um, you know, there's a, she's drawn to, there's a part of her that's drawn to staying in this place. Right. But there's also Mm -hmm. a part of her that, that is 
lonely and isolated and knows that she needs to eventually get out of this place. Right. But we're not seeing anything like active happen. Like if that were the case, you'd see her, you know, adding one more piece of junk to something that she's building. Like, right. Right. We just going back to her speeder, which her really cool, what some people call the fudge sickle speeder, (laughs) um, that reddish brownish one. Like she built that herself. So if you're thinking, well, if she's this ingenious and maybe she should be building a spaceship for her to leave or, building up her own whatever uh, junk storage put away uh, for later to sell for passage off planet. Uh, But it seems like she's kind of content just being alone and waiting and scrubbing junk and eating bread and uh, what is termed veg meat (laughs) for her dinners. Veg meat. It's like, why not? Let's call it veg meat. But yeah, we just this character who's maybe just uh, not even a tertiary or quaternary, just like one of the many faceless characters you could realistically have in the galaxy, just scrubbing out a, a, a very lonely existence. Yeah, yeah. All right. Part three. Yeah, I have a, I have a feeling maybe things are going to turn a little bit for this character. We'll see. Oh, the last thing I'll say, uh, because we don't see the shot again, is when the camera is, or when Ray is inside the AT-AT, the camera is a little bit tilted. It's a little bit askew. And we saw that same uh, tilting when she was in the Star Destroyer, when we first see her, when she's all masked oh, yeah. and sliding down the rope. There are a couple of tilted shots. I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know what the point is there. Maybe it's, maybe while we're inside Imperial vehicles, like that's, Right, that's that's the the dark side tilting. I don't know. Maybe that's just me overthinking it. Maybe just uh, to give you a sense of uh, disorientation to kind of yeah. uh, show you how big and cavernous this uh, environment is. Perhaps I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, again, that disorienting possibly. Yeah, possibly. All right, last two minutes of this scene. Do it. We'll call it part three. Mm. The scavenger is alerted to some nearby beeping. She stands up, takes off the helmet, grabs her staff as she runs towards the beeping. She reaches the top of the dune to see a ball droid that has been netted by another scavenger. A Tito on a lugga beast. The scavenger yells something at Tito, and Tito responds by yelling at her and raising his staff. The scavenger runs towards the droid, continuing to yell at Tito while she cuts open the net to free the droid. The Tito scoffs as she leaves on his lugabeast. The droid beeps loudly and the scavenger shushes it. The scavenger talks to the droid. That's just Tito. Wants you for parts. He has no respect for anyone. She kneels next to the droid. She says, your antenna's bent. She straightens it. She says, where do you come from? The droid beeps a bunch. She says, classified, really? Droid beeps affirmatively. She says, me too. Big secret. She gestures to the distance. Nema outpost is that way. Stay off of Kelvin Ridge. Keep away from the sinking fields in the north. You'll drown in the sand. She stands up and starts to walk away, and the droid begins to follow. She stops, looks back at the droid. Don't follow me. Town is that way. Droid, sad beep. Then asking beeps. She says, no. Droid, more sad beeps. Scavenger stops again, looks back at the droid and gestures with her head to follow her. Droid, happy beeps. They leave together. Scavenger says, in the morning you go. Droid, happy beats. Beats? Happy beeps. Hey, happy beeps. Scavenger says, you're welcome. End scene. 
Ooh, end scene. So we, we get another character introduction. Well, not introduction, but uh, we, we get uh, BB-8 here meeting up with our main character, which is kind of fun. Yeah, now we're starting to bridge like why you're being introduced to this character, the scavenger, um, after what, four, almost five minutes of just not really, or four minutes of not knowing this connection. That's a long time to spend at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Just kind of wandering through the desert aimlessly with this loner <laughs> who's, who, whose goals you can see are just written on the wall as tallies. Yeah. Uh, like, okay, what's the point of this character? Let's get to it. And then, right, we hear the beeps. And if, right, you're remembering from the first 10 minutes of the movie, okay, okay, those beeps belong to some droid and the kind of funny beeps. Uh, that, yeah, that could be the guy or the droid BB-8 that we met earlier. Uh, and here we're seeing, yeah, her intersect with that opening scene character. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I remember loving the design of BB-8 when I first mm-hmm. saw this movie. I just think it's really clever. I think it um, sticks with this theme that uh, Star Wars has always done very well of making these droids like kind of cute, but, you know, almost like a dog or a pet, mm-hmm. uh, but also giving them personality somehow, even though they can't say any words that we understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here again, just in the conversation that they have with each other, you get that sense. And um, and it brings up those feelings of like classic Star Wars, like a droids having a conversation with one of our main characters, but it's sort of a one-sided conversation because <laughs> we don't know what the droid is saying. Um but you can infer what's going on. And, and uh, that's just a, a classic move by these star Wars movies. And I have to admit that I love it. It always tickles me every time. Yeah. Uh, for one, I think what helps is BB eight is mostly practical. It's right. Uh, he's as practical as you can make him. JJ Abrams is saying on the commentary, uh, he was saying that usually it's puppeteers moving him around and um, making him nod and look this way and that hmm. and roll around. Then they just, somehow digitally erase the puppeteers and the rods. It's just like movie magic. There you go. Right. Uh, but I think it plays uh, such a big part in having something real that the light touches on the screen that leaves a real track in the sand. Right. Right. Um, because then the actors can actually look at what they're supposed to be looking at. Even if, you know, maybe there's some puppet rods here or there. Uh, it, it gives them something tactile. And I think that's something that the sequels really accomplished really well was using practical effects and not going the CG route. And I think that was one of the big complaints of the prequels was just how much CG they used. Um, even though there are plenty of practical shots and I've seen lots of uh, miniature photography for the Phantom Menace and costumes uh, and um special creature designs, uh, still a lot of CGs present there in the prequels, uh, which can really distance the viewer. And here they're bringing the viewer in, in this movie with a droid that you can basically understand what he's saying, what he's asking with his little beeps. Right. Right. You can follow the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes she's saying some obvious things like don't follow me, but that's because he's literally following her. That's what you would say to a droid trying to follow you. And <laughs> he says something. I probably my favorite line is just when she, he beeps at her and she says, no, no. Like, you know, like he probably is saying something really simple. Like, can I come with you? No. But the writers are holding back there. I love the holding back. I'm not yeah. telling us, no, you can't come with me and wait for whoever you're not going to tell me about. It's just 
No. No. Right. Right. Yeah. No. That's uh, that's an, that's an important distinction because it's how the conversation would actually go, right? We right. We don't need every detail spelled out to us. We can put it together. That's right, Jeff. We don't need every detail spelled out to us. We can <laughs> figure it out. That's right. We, we can put it together. Is what you're trying to say. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's exactly. No, no, no. But uh, as probably a lot of people know, BB-8's voice is modulated some modulated combination of uh, Bill Hader and Ben Schwartz's voices, this which I love. This was new information to me. I had no idea. You didn't know that? I did not know that, no. Oh. These are the things that I come to you for, John. I, I do not know these interesting details. So that, that's what I know just from listening to, you know, comedy bang bang over the years and, you know, watching them, well, watching the making of kind of things on my own, uh, not necessarily research for this show. Mm. Just stuff I do for fun. But yeah, just love BB-8's personality. Just uh, he comes across as like this brash uh, personality who is just going to get his way no matter what. Kind of like an R2-D2 from right. A New Hope, but just like really, uh, really, I don't know, pushed to the max because he is a loner droid. He doesn't have a buddy like R2-D2 has always had who can speak for him. He has to speak for himself. Um, and when we talk about speaking for yourself, the very first words we're hearing Ray shout out to Tito, not that Tito, but Tito from Star Wars, <laughs> uh, is uh, something in a foreign language. Uh, and oh, yeah. When I researched this, what she's actually saying is not like, oh, the droid. She's saying, this is my territory. Like, get out of here. Tell them a park wall. It's my territory, which uh, I think in scavenger talk, also doubles as like anything on my territory belongs to me. Yeah. That's my droid. Um, yeah. Yeah. Without having to say that's my droid, just saying get off my property, basically. Right. Um, you can see Tito is not reacting in a way that says he's going to fight for the droid. He just kind of like, uh, just kind of shrugs his shoulders and yeah, he gives up off. pretty easily. Doesn't he? Yeah. I'll begin that over again. Right. Okay. So I think what this Tito interaction is telling us with how quickly he shrinks off uh, the confrontation uh, is that right. Maybe she has some kind of reputation as being a good fighter. We've just kind of ex finished explaining in the first couple of minutes, just how much of a loner and how much of a scrapper, how much of a survivalist she's had to be over right. however many years. We don't know, maybe 15, 12 years living in the, these and that's super just duper it. hard conditions. Like, yeah. The word survivalist I think is important there and she's had to do it from a very, very young age. So yeah. Um, like I, yeah. And you, you get that from, from this introduction very quickly and uh, it, it helps inform the rest of her character and the rest of her character's choices for sure. But yeah, I think it's kind of it's kind of neat also that her first word spoken in the entire franchise is not basic. It's not the English language that we know. It's something to communicate. And right away, that gift of language comes into play when she's talking to BB-8, when she's talking to Chewbacca, when she's talking yeah. to other uh, aliens or other things that don't speak her language. I, I think that's a neat little trait that kind of maybe goes over people's heads and they immediately say, well, how did she know other languages? Like, well, how does anybody know any other languages? Like you, you study them and right. in her case, she probably traded with people from off world, maybe some Wookiees, <laughs> uh, maybe a droid or two that she's interacted with um, in collecting 
the junk, the space junk. Yeah. And uh, I, I just another little takeaway from this conversation that I always kind of enjoy is I want to see these places that she's talking about mm-hmm. when, when she's like, don't, uh, um, oh yeah, stay off of Kelvin Ridge. Mm-hmm. Keep away from the sinking fields in the north. You'll drown in the sand. I immediately start to like picture these places. Like right. what do they look like? Well, why are they so dangerous? Um, and it's more of that sort of world building without seeing the world. And you get a sense of maybe why she's just stuck around to this little outpost that all the areas in any direction away are just too dangerous to, to go travel through or live. Or uh, And so she's kind of, in a sense, sort of stuck in this little desert outpost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, yeah, she mentions Kelvin Ridge. I don't know really anything about that. I'm sure there's an extended book you could pick up and <laughs> probably probably another geography. they'll make another movie about it at some point sounds fun i would be into that but um <laughs> the sinking fields we do see later in the movie when poe and finn's tie fighter crash there and oh. uh finn loses poe but grabs his jacket and that's how bb8 connects to him later on when bb8 and ray uh, oh, kind of I never around. made that connection, but you're right. Their their ship gets sunk into the sand. Oh, yeah, and it's another thing. Now. You're probably not thinking like, oh, she said sinking fields. These right, them. right. If you watch yeah. it one time through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I can understand if people only want to watch a movie once, but I think it, it's worth repeating uh, for something as, as dense uh, as a Star Wars. Sure, sure. All right. Well, um We've done a pretty good job here. Do you have anything else to add about this section or just the whole scene in general? Sure. Um, I guess just in this section itself, I, I think what we're seeing from Ray is right. She's still shown as a tough, uh, as a tough scavenger type, a desert badass, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, but we're also seeing in her first interaction with the droid is that she is kind and, uh, she's wise in that she knows these different languages. So we're really fleshing out this character who we've also noticed is lonely, uh, who doesn't have a lot of goals, uh, <laughs> but who's also tough and crafty. Can defend uh, herself. And, can defend herself. Yeah. And doesn't take any, any shit from any of the other people around her. Yeah. So at the end of six minutes, with just a little bit of interactions, a little bit of uh, dialogue spoken by her. I feel like I know this character I, I, and I want to cheer on this character. Um, I want to see what she does next. I want to see what scene uh, she pops up in next. I want to follow this character uh, and hopefully she sticks around for the rest of the movie. Um, I, I was watching this scene for research for the movie right over and over like you do. Uh, and then my daughter, Eva, who I haven't really shown any star Wars to just because it's, it's still pretty intense for her. Like, yeah. Yeah. Same with my daughter. Like she's not quite yeah. there yet. Yeah. Like even just the original trilogy, it starts off with like laser blast and she's like, uh, can we watch something else? Like it's <laughs> too, too, too much of this. Uh, but she was watching this and she immediately like wanted to see what happened next with Ray. What happened next? And uh. we ended up watching, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes of really just Ray adventures in this movie. And that was way fun to uh, like be kind of like, you know, I don't know, zipped, not zipped to the fact or awoken to awaken to the fact, um, but just come to that realization that, oh, of course, like this is the direction the movies should go. This is. Uh, who they should be bringing in is, is these little kids and, you know, little girls, especially who yeah. maybe don't have that analog or that 
avatar in Star Wars that they can relate to and say, that's me. Um, with Princess Leia a little bit for sure, or maybe a lot bit because she had to kind of carry the whole female role. But in the sequel trilogy, I think one of the things it definitely does right is giving agency to female characters and giving them leadership positions, giving them, uh, you know, the tougher personalities that maybe just went to the men in the past. And right. Eva's hooked and we're reading these five minute star Wars stories every night. Mm. Um, even before I chose this scene, I was reading a five minute star Wars story that stars Ray saving BB eight from the Tito and <laughs> being, being given like little portions by Uncar Plutt. And uh, it really tied well together. I, I think I read that again tonight to her and she's really into Ray just wants to see Ray become a Jedi and see Ray do awesome things and fly the millennium Falcon. Um, all these little bits and pieces of Star Wars she's heard about. And it's like, oh, well, I, I can be the character in a Star Wars. Yeah, and that's the end. That's great. So that's really cool. So now she's got she's got something to grab onto to to pull her into the world. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I'll get there with, with my girls as well. Because uh, uh, Grace hasn't really shown much, much interest, but my four-year-old daughter... Ooh. Is uh, I I was watching uh, this movie. I watched it in its entirety, and uh, there were a couple times because I felt comfortable watching it when they were around in the room because there's nothing really overly <laughs> violent or, or or scary in it really. Um, right. And uh, there were a couple times that that my youngest daughter Ruby came kind of crawled up into my lap and was like, "Who's that? What are they doing? Where are they going? Yeah. What happened here?" And she was pretty interested in it. So she might end up being the uh the Star Wars nerd with me. I don't know. We'll see. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, BBA is famous around the house. Like both kids know all about BBA. <laughs> yeah. Cute little droid. There there's an in for you too. Yeah, yeah, the like cute, cute little droids that roll around. Uh, I've had the Lego <laughs> Millennium Falcon from Force Awakens. Oh and yeah, I have Ray and Poe and Finn and Chewbacca and Han Solo and old Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, like all these lo- little <laughs> Lego Star Wars characters that we've just kind of played with over the years. Yeah, um, so they're, they're they're familiar with like that language, right? Uh, and with that, right, those visuals and those characterizations, and it's it's fun to start tying them to stories that I can share with them and hopefully they're into them. If not, that's fine. Yeah. I'll probably pick up into whatever they're into down the road. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I would say, I would say the last little bit, this scene ends with her walking, you know, across the dunes sunset uh, with BB eight. And this scene is mirrored or I don't know, called back to um, at the end of the rise of Skywalker when it's her and BB eight in front of the twin sons, either rising or setting. I think they're setting on tattooing. I, I can't remember, but that's um, about when I was waking up. Yeah. yeah. You're waking up at the <laughs> literal end of the, of the movie. That's, <laughs> that's to be expected. Like we, we did it. <laughs> did we win? <laughs> did we win? <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a neat little mirror moment um, to open up the Ray and BB eight interactions or relationship with them kind of walking over the sand and her nodding to him and him understanding that means come along with me. Uh, and then ending the whole film journey uh, with those two uh, walking wherever they're walking to. Yeah. I don't really remember if there's a specific place they're going to after they uh, visit Luke's homestead, uh, but they're together. Nevertheless, they're in the desert. Uh, it's it's a neat little little poem it rhymes as george lucas would say it's poetry it rhymes again it's like poetry it's sort of they rhyme 
It is. It's a very nice end to this little sequence here. I like it. Yeah. Well, 2015, this mm-hmm. movie came out. This was, not surprisingly, the highest grossing movie of 2015. This was number one, John. Mm. Number one uh, at number over one? two billion. <laughs> that's right. To be for billion, billion dollars. Um, right behind it at 1.6 billion, we had Jurassic World Oof. and then Furious 7, Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, The Minions, yikes, Spectre, <laughs> Inside Out, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, The Hunger Games Mocking J Part 2, and then number 10 was The Martian. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. List of films here. A lot of... uh, Franchises. A lot of franchises. Yeah. Uh, A lot of Disney. Um, I think everything's a franchise piece except for Inside Out and The Martian. Everything else is... God, you're right. ...connected in some way to another franchise. Minions. absolutely right. Comes from... Despicable Me. Despicable Me. There we go. Yeah. Spectre's Bond. Mission Impossible, of course. Hunger Games. Yeah. Inside Out is one of my favorite Disney movies. I'll just throw that out there. It's that's a solid one. I that's like one Pixar, that Eva yeah. will recommend us watch every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. It's just like <laughs> let's talk about emotions. She's like, let's do it. Let's dive into these emotions and these core memories. Like we even use the language. My wife and I use the language. Oh, oh that's that's a core memory for me. And you know, we have to wonder what are going to be core memories for our kids. So we, we're we're very aware. So thank you, Disney, for making like all parents aware of like you know the 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 goodness or sometimes the damage that you can do yeah. on kids' emotions and to memories those and core memories. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good to have that in mind. Um, yeah, the two the over two billion dollars Force Awakens made that year um, puts it at number four all time mm. of. Uh, box office behind Avatar, Avengers Endgame, and Titanic. Um, at one point, it was third before Avengers Endgame uh, knocked it to number four. Hmm. Wow. I don't know if you have hit. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it was a pretty big deal. And so I, I think Huge they deal. Did, yeah. I think they did their job. So Disney reintroduces Star Wars. People want to go see it. Uh, most likely people see it multiple times. Um, I know I did. So, so I think they 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 met their stakes, or they achieved what they're aiming for with introducing Star Wars to a new generation, but also pulling in uh, the, the the older fans, the fans like you and I who grew up on the original trilogy, yeah, uh, and wanted to see uh, what could happen next with the, the heroes, but also with new people. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I, I agree. It was it was an event. I, I remember yeah. like it was a massive event going to see The Force Awakens, um, and mm-hmm. everyone was like, you know, buzzing with excitement. It was a yeah. it was a big deal. There were a number of other movies from 2015 though that I'm realizing that I really like. Um, yeah, I, I, that's why I wrote those other notables because we're we're at the part now where we're in like in this blockbuster era franchise era where probably a lot of the movies that maybe you like Jeff are not going to be the big uh, box office sensations, but yeah, uh, it's still definitely churning out some, some good movies these years. Yeah, there are some good ones here. So the, what stands out to me would be, um, uh, so it follows is a mm-hmm. horror movie. I really like um, X. Is it X machina? I know. Ex machina. Ex machina, not X machina, X machina, uh, yeah, X machina. 
two of the stars from Force Awakens, uh, Domhnall Gleeson yes. and Oscar Isaac. Yes, uh, probably Isaacs. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Probably my okay, favorite sci-fi movie of of that decade. I think. Wow. Yeah, I really like it. Um, also, though, Mad Max Fury Road is mm-hmm. uh, probably my honestly probably my favorite movie of that year. Wow. Um, good. Uh, what else there? Oh, Hateful Eight was the other one, a Tarantino movie that I really like. That I feel like is a little underrated because it's very long so mm-hmm. um, people don't talk about it as much but it's really really good do you have any on that list that kind of jump out to you oh I, rem- I remember really digging sicario for just how suspenseful oh yeah that all is it's just every scene is just like this long drawn out <laughs> uh stress yes basically. yes like, what's gonna happen come on happen already come on oh wow okay i can't believe they did that oh <laughs> Can't believe that happened. Um, yeah, I remember Sakar. I didn't see that in theater. I had to. That's too intense of a movie for me to take in a <laughs> right. theater. So I <laughs> watched that at home. Uh, Kingsman. I remember really liking Kingsman. Um, it's it's. I would argue kind of like this superhero comic movie. That's not that. That's like trying to do a different take on that. Um, now we have that happening like all the time with things like The Boys and yeah. Invincible. Um, but that was kind of like one of the early, I would say, against the grain comic book movies. Um, so I remember really liking that, seeing that in theater. Also, I really like Mad Max Fury Road. It's mm-hmm. just an amazing, amazing movie. Highly um, recommend uh, watching that on 4K if you have the means. Yeah, I, I could, I could see, I could see that looking just amazing. Another, hey, another desert-based movie. Yeah, there, there go. you go. Yeah, I like the I like those desert scenes. I think I like desert scenes. I like ruins. <laughs> you like ruins? Yeah, I like ruins. I like Lord of the Rings ruins. I like the ruins we see in the sequel trilogy, especially here. Mm. Uh, anything else that really stand out to me? Uh, I remember really liking The Martian. I thought, oh yeah, like, that's a good. The Martian. One. It's like the Matt Damon on Mars movie. What just really solidified him as this just awesome actor like someone you would want to grab a beer with (laughs) totally (laughs) this guy's this guy's awesome he rules all right well we have a couple segments to get through here before the end of this podcast i think we should uh start to kind of rifle through them let's do it are you into it okay um segment next segment our recurring segment here is it Better than Predator. This is going to be a tough one for you, John. I, I have a feeling. I knew this one was coming because it's a recurring segment, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I was prepared with my answer. I okay. think if you put these two things down, Force Awakens and Predator down, it's a crapshoot. It totally depends what mood I'm in. Mm. If I'm wanting a standalone movie that I can just really enjoy and just you know see all the action. Uh, of and not have to worry too much about like the outside of this movie, any kind of drama or any other connections. Uh, I'll go with Predator. But if if I'm in a Star Wars mood and I'm a Star Wars fan, there's a good chance. I, yeah, <laughs> you might be better than mood. good chance. I'm going for uh, <laughs> Episode Seven. If I'm in the right, if I'm in the middle of one of my uh, episodes one through nine marathon, then I'm going to reach for Seven. Uh, so it really kind of depends. Uh, what I'm up for. Uh, uh, there's no clear cut answer here. I, I, I can't choose. You can't do it. You can't choose just, one of your children. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Sophie's Choice situation. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know Sophie's Choice, but I know when it's referenced, it's a tough choice. Right. And this is a tough choice. This is a tough choice. I wouldn't say Episode Seven is in like my, my top five 
maybe top 10, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But um, yeah, even though Predator is there solving the top five, like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm feeling in the Star Wars mood, Jeff. What yeah. about you? Uh, I, I like episode seven a lot. It's uh, I feel about it the way I feel about almost all the Star Wars movies. Like you, if I'm in the mood for a Star Wars movie, I might put it on. Um, but I think if I was to make a list of my favorite movies, um, I think Predator would be ahead of most Star Wars movies. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say Predator here. I'm, I'm going back to the OG. Give me that Schwarzenegger Predator sweetness. All right. So yeah. tie plus Predator equals Predator wins. Predator wins. <laughs> uh, our next segment is called Recommends. Yes, recommendations where we recommend things to each other. I don't remember who went first last time. Do you? I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, I'll go. I'll go first. Then you go let's, first. Yeah. Let's pretend it's my turn. Okay. Um, I don't have a way. I'm not. I'm not going to keep track of that. Don't worry. Um, but in doing research for this movie, um, I saw a few trivia comparisons between Ray and this character Nausicaa from this um, Hayao. Miyazaki film Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Are you familiar with Miyazaki? No. I'm not really either. It's just a name that's been kind of floating around uh, in film discussions on podcasts I listen to. Float around. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Oh boy. (laughs) That was a good stretch. I like that. (laughs) Float around. Float around. Stick around. Uh, But, uh, (laughs) wow. Uh, Miyazaki is a longtime Japanese animator, uh, creator of many anime, manga. Mm. Um, so not just the illustrated comic books, um, but also the shows themselves and to an extent, different movies, different anime movies, uh, including Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Um, he's known for other things. Miyazaki is. Let me bring up like the things he's most notable. He's really notable for starting uh, this production company called Studio Ghibli or Ghibli. I think it's Ghibli. Mm. Um, this Japanese production company that mainly makes these large-scale Japanese animation films. Uh, things like Castle in the Sky, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Sor- Service. Uh, Princess Mononoke, that was like one of the bigger ones. I, that, I recognize that one. Yeah. That's a famous one, yeah. Yeah, Spirited, Spirited Away was another one. That's, that's another one I recognize. Yeah, really well known. But back in the 80s, when he was, before he even started that production company, um, he was given free reign or a blank check, if we will, uh, for making uh, some of his first movies after being a longtime animator in uh, the manga scene mm. um, and helping out with some of the anime TV shows. He was allowed to create his own project, and that was Nasca of the. And one of the first ones, I believe his second big one, is Nasca of the Valley of the Wind. Uh, just this lovely standalone, not standalone, I would say standalone, but it's really based on some of the manga that he wrote and illustrated called the same thing, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. But it's all about this uh, princess, Nausicaa, who is part of this people, the these people in the Valley of the Wind. That's its, its name. Um, there's not much more given to it name-wise. Uh, but the whole film surrounds her trying to 
stop the people from further destroying the environment. That's a really simple way to put it, hmm. uh, but it's told on this grand scale and there are many themes that the uh, film pushes forward, uh, environmentalism versus um, industrialization. Uh, so you, you see these themes in the 80s and you're thinking like, oh, these are like well-trod themes, but they're not really. I, I think he's one of the first big filmmakers to push forward these large-scale stories of environmentalism, of um, the evils of industrialization. And like I said, in the 80s, this is pushing uh, for these big ideas and influencing um, things down the road. Um, and to me, <laughs> selfishly, what it really influences is the Final Fantasy video game series, yeah. which has a lot of elements like airships, like steampunkness. Mm. There's a lot of steampunk elements in his uh, in his movies, including Nausicaa. Um, there's like warring kingdoms. At the same time, that's another Final Fantasy trope, but it's also a trope. Also, these tropes. Um, show up a lot you know show up in a lot of other media a lot of other tv shows and other anime um after nausicaa and after um things like howl's moving castle but all that to say um you can find nausicaa of the valley of the wind on hbo max and it's retranslated version apparently there was the japanese original version of course and they dubbed it and cut it significantly for mm. american audience and it changed like the whole flow of the story it made it less about like the themes and this character of nausicaa and more about like the action and like the military versus military uh and they redid it when disney i think bought the rights to the movie or maybe even bought studio ghibli um and they redubbed it in 2005 i believe uh, with a whole new cast uh, people like allison loman patrick stewart who i love hearing his voice and love hmm. him say nausicaa <laughs> uh, partly because there's like a race of aliens called the nausicans in star trek the next generation uh so you see even some of that influence in right bigger things like star trek uh, but that version they that they came out with in 2005 uh, was a lot more um whatever was was a lot closer to the original i don't think they really cut anything they just translated and then went with it uh, so that's nausicaa of the valley of the wind it's an anime movie based on manga by miyazaka highly recommend um especially to see kind of like the roots of so many of these themes and so many of these little elements that you see pop up more in like movies and shows and comics and this is on hbo max right now a lot of along with a lot of uh, others of his big movies like howl's movie castle and what am i watching right now i'm watching the second big movie he made i can't remember mm. i'm also going to recommend something from hbo max max max, max. my wife and i uh rifled through as soon as we started watching it it is a six-part series from denmark um so it's in subtitles uh, but it's called The Investigation. Investigation. Uh, and it's fantastic. It's really good. It's a, like I said, six-part series. It is a um, crime story. It's based on a true story of a woman who goes out to sea with uh, one other person and she winds up dead. Oh. And the police um, suspect that it is a homicide but it's very difficult to prove that when uh, nobody else was there except for the one person who has uh, his own uh, version of the events that are very hard to refute. So um, the 
The series is just about the police working with the uh, prosecutor, and uh, and uh, just it's just a really great like crime procedural story. Um, and so, if you don't mind uh, watching a show with some subtitles, I highly, highly recommend it. It was one of the better shows I watched in a long time. Um, it was one of those things where like. I kind of forgot that I was reading subtitles after a while because the show was so good. So this is based on a true story. It says based on a true story. Yep. So this was uh, released very recently in Denmark and then um, almost immediately got um, released on HBO Max for American audiences because I think it was very popular. So um, it's good. I highly, highly recommend if you like crime stories, um, you know, stories of the police trying to solve a mystery. Um, this is a good one. The Investigation on HBO Max. Check it out. All right. The Investigation. HBO mm-hmm. Max. Max. Okay. I might check it out. Wait, does this say Pernilla August is in it? Who's that? Do you know who P- Pernilla August is? Shmi Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker's <laughs> mom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Full circle. <laughs> oh, man. That's... Oh, you just made the connection. Okay, I have the excuse now to watch it. I just needed amazing. I just needed that one. Just end. Need That's a little need. sprinkle of Star Wars on it for you. Yeah, just yeah, a little <laughs> sprinkle of Star Wars. I'm always in the theater watching those trailers for people like, oh my gosh, that's uh, Lindsay Duncan, the voice of TC14, who serves <laughs> tea to the oh Jedi and uh, Phantom Menace. Nerd. Sarah's like, ah, just let me watch the trailer. <laughs> John, do you want to know what we're going to do for our next episode? Jeff, I cannot wait. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm going to sit on the. Hold on. I'm going to. Yeah, this is real work. This is real Foley work. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. <laughs> leaning close in. We are going to uh, do a real 180 degree turn here. <laughs> <laughs> of course we are. <laughs> um, we've been doing action movies. Um this episode we did an action movie, although we focused on a non-action part of it. But you know, Star Wars, uh, any Star Wars movie, still kind of falls into the uh, I don't know the pantheon of movies that we would people would probably expect us to talk about. Right. I would like to talk about a comedy. All right. So let's get our comedy on. Um, I like all kinds of comedies. I like smart comedies. I like dumb comedies. Um, but I really like goofy comedies. And so okay. we are going to watch the first mm, six and a half minutes of Super Troopers. Discriminating audiences at the Sundance Film Festival have discovered one of the most shocking, unflinching, eye opening films about cops ever made. Look like the two dumbest guys in the world to you. Go. Super Troopers. Wow. In this town, you don't mess with the law. You know how fast you're going? 65. 63. The law messes with you. Isn't the speed limit 65? Yeah, it is. I'm freaking out, man. Let me see your license and registration. Perhaps some spunking and cuffing is another. Ain't It Cool News says funny, funny, funny stuff all over this movie. Oh! 
Give me a double bacon cheeseburger. Double bacon cheeseburger, it's for a cop. What the hell's that all about? You gonna spin it now? No, I was just telling him that so he makes it good. Don't spit in that cop's burger. <laughs> Made me laugh out loud. Long and hard. Another highway cup? What are you guys multiplying? <laughs> They're not just fighting crime. They look like spit to you. Yeah. Damn it, you They're fighting boredom. They're coming back, man! Super Troopers. Cop does what before using his equipment in the field? They test it? They test it, exactly. <laughs> Damn, that's good! <laughs> <laughs> you boys like Mexico! Mexico. So the scene will start about 30 seconds into the film, which is basically like the very opening credits of the movie. And it will end at about minute 6.55 when uh, Ramathorn turns to the camera and says, Mother of God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. What a great choice, by the way. Great choice. Thank you. So I felt like it'd be fun to do a comedy this time. So let's get our comedy chops on and, and laugh a little bit at one of my very favorite comedy sequences in any film and one that when I first saw it, I uh, about died and passed out of laughter. So, <laughs> so quotable too, not just from the scene, but the whole movie, I still whole movie. this whole movie just, yeah, so many times. Yeah. We even meowed back and forth. I think last episode, right meow, right meow. <laughs> so it'll be a fun oh. excuse to rewatch this movie and uh, talk about one of my favorite parts of it. So I hope uh, that sounds fun to you. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I love having an excuse also to revisit something I haven't seen in forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> All right. So there it is. Uh, listeners, uh, fire up Super Troopers before uh, next episode and join us for the discussion. Please. Yeah. Um, so where can people find you, Jeff? Oh. Speaking of discussing. <laughs> find me on the Twitter, Carl underscore Hungus314. You can find me there. My name is Carl been expert. John, where can we find all things Seen It All with Jeff and John? Uh, well, you can find us on Twitter as well, at Seen It All underscore. That's S-C-E-N-E, it all underscore symbol. Uh, <laughs> the first couple of Seen It Alls were taken, so there you go. Uh, you can email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, actually, let me check. Let me check the old mailbox, see if we have you know, a open up letter. the inbox right now. Opening the inbox live on air. Uh, <laughs> <ooh. laughs> <laughs> ah, here we go. Joe Joe Sinkwitz titles his email reaching out dot dot dot. Hi there. I came across your YouTube channel and was wondering if you ever do product reviews or influence. You know what, Jeff? I think this is junk mail. <laughs> I think that might be junk. Why don't you go ahead and uh, click the box next to it and then find the button that says mark as junk. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, shoot. I thought we were uh, having our first fan email. Okay, that's not the case. Not the case. Okay. Well, okay. So you can email the show. We'll read your email, even if it's junk mail, apparently. <laughs> um, 
We also have a Facebook group. You can find us on Facebook, just the name of the podcast, Seen It All with Jeff and John. I believe we're gathering members by the week. We're up to six members. <laughs> very, very, very excited. Someone call Squarespace. So, someone call MeUndies. <laughs> Your undies. Okay. Um, Joseph Parker has our first uh, standalone post. Uh, Joseph Parker, longtime Predator Minute listener uh, also chiming in here which i thought was really appropriate and funny i didn't want to say it in the comments but um he posted this uh, after i said what our next episode was going to be this episode force awakens he says hey guys great to have you back and great first episode fantastic choice for the first movie scene truly iconic uh, when you talked about the helicopter under the bridge stunt it reminded me of mission impossible when a helicopter goes in a train tunnel but i'm not sure how much of that was real for me, I'd say T2 is an overall better movie, but I like Predator a hair better. Mm. Hey, I agree with you there, Joseph. Predator wins. Fair enough, Joseph. <laughs> what puts it ahead is that the plot is original and T2 is a retread of the first movie. In parentheses, he says, Force Awakens, done right. <laughs> All <laughs> Which right. I thought was so funny because, <laughs> hey, we're talking about Force Awakens. That for is two hours. funny. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to hear what other scenes you'll explore. Uh, and thank you, Joseph, for hopping on the Facebook group, seeing it all with Jeff and John. Appreciate Thanks, you Joseph. posting there. Uh, and that's those are the places we can uh, interact with you all. So feel free to hop on any of those platforms and let me know what scene you want to talk about. And gosh, I think for all things seen at all, episode four, Star Wars episode seven, Force Awakens, Ray's introduction. Um, <laughs> gosh, I've been John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. <laughs> and until next time, stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. You wanna see? <laughs> I was gonna say, but that doesn't apply. <laughs> you wanna see? Yeah, you wanna see? Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna see? Yeah, you wanna see? Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me. You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg. You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg. You can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack. And you can be like Arnold, tell him I'll be back. You wanna see? Yeah, you wanna see? Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna see? Yeah, you wanna see? Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me. Jeff and John talk scenes and quotes. Jeff improvises while John takes notes. From Mozambique to Montreal, you can join in the chat on Scene It All. You wanna see? Yeah, you wanna see? Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna see? Yeah, you wanna see? Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me. Scene It All with Jeff and John.